What a great joy and privilege it is to be with you this morning. Uh, during this past year, I haven't been able to be in a pulpit much because nobody's been in a pulpit a whole lot. Uh, we've all been virtual, and uh, now we can get back and worship together, and I can stand in the pulpit again. I told him it's a little dangerous to invite me uh, now because I'm labored, laboring under a lot of undelivered sermons over this past year. So it's dangerous for you, maybe not me, but I'll try to control myself this morning. But it's, it is really good to be here, and to always come, come back to a place is kind of special for me because uh, it's, just, uh, it's just good to be with, with our people. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. And I'm glad to have my son with me. You know, he's a professor at uh, University of California and at Caltech, way out in California, so I don't get to see him very much. And he's spending a couple of weeks with us now. And uh, he said, I want to go with you tomorrow to when you uh, speak to that church. And so I'm so glad to have you, Stephen. And he volunteered, uh, like he said, I'm not a salesman, but he does have some of my books there. In case you're interested, uh, he's going to kind of control that for me this morning. Well, the, the music, thank you all for the good music this morning and singing. It goes right along with what I want to say this morning in many ways, talking about the nations of this earth. I remember the, uh, I was saved about two o'clock in the morning. I came to know Jesus and my Savior on board a small aircraft carrier. I was navigator on that small aircraft carrier. And... Uh, and the, I read the Bible all night long. That's the way I came to know Jesus, but reading the Gospels. And uh, the next morning, after uh, giving out the orders for the operation division, I went up on the bridge and I looked over the city of Yokosuka, Japan. I didn't see any temples, any churches, no spires, no crosses. I'd been in town many, many times. Never saw a church, never met a Christian. And the, one of my first questions after I accepted Jesus was, I wonder if any of these people know Jesus. I, I had no idea. I didn't, hadn't seen any evidence of that. And I thought, well, you know, you need to come here and tell them. <laughs> and share the gospel with them. And I thought about the whole world. And I'm so glad these songs have peoples, plural. Because sometimes we talk about people of the world as though we're all just alike. But the peoples of the world, there are so many people groups out there, literally thousands of them, groups of people who speak the same language, have the same culture, they, they have the same uh, uh, worldview, they're all alike, but, but they, sometimes many people, groups, live in one country. They're not all uh, cookie cutter out there. And so many of those people groups, those peoples, of the world have never heard about Jesus. Uh, you'd be surprised how many around the world have no literature, they have no Bible, they have no Bible in, the lang in their language, they have no, no uh, uh, literature, no tracts, no radio programs, no television programs to tell them the good news that God loves them and cares about them. And, and so, that's where our burden is, that all of the world gets to know, especially in this day of time when the world is, all over the world is hurting so much and so broken. And so uh, I'm so glad we sang about the nations of the world, the peoples 
of the world, the people groups of all this world. I, I know someone used the word peoples, and a high school student came up to me after the thing and said, why do we use say peoples? People is plural. Why do we say peoples? And I had the joy of explaining to him what we mean when we make it pl people plural, because there are plural groups. And that's sort of what I want to talk about today and uh, to, to share with you. And I'm, I'm going to be speaking from Psalm 24. If you have your Bibles, I really hope you'll turn with me in your Bible. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, going, going out into the world without a Bible is kind of like going to war without a gun or a, a sword or something, you know, to defend yourself and to... Uh, to make progress in war. Uh, so I hope you at least come to church with your Bible if you can, because uh, this, is, this is the precious Word of God, and it, it, it says so much. I tell new missionaries going to the field when I get to teach them, I say, beware when the first book you pick up in the morning is your language book, <laughs> because there's one book that's more important to you right now than a language book, and that's this book right here, because that's what keeps you going day to day is the reading of the Word of God. And so this morning we're reading from the Word of God in Psalm the 24th chapter. And so many people stop with the 23rd. I don't know about you, but I memorized the 23rd Psalm when I was just a little kid growing up. That's the Psalm everybody memorizes if, if they know the Word of God. And, and yet the 24th Psalm is so beautiful and it has so much to say, but it's very simple but yet profound. Let me read this to you. The 24th Psalm, I'm just going to go from the first to the sixth verse in the interest of time. <clears throat> the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Boy, think about that. The world and all who live in it. For he founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. <clears throat> who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to, a, uh, the, to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing. And he's talking about he, she, the people, everybody. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, our Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Let's have just a brief word of prayer before we enter his word. O Father, may your Holy Spirit come to us right now. Every person who is seated here, Lord, I just pray that you will speak and teach from the word what each of us needs to hear in our separate life, in our our, all that we do, Lord, we need your word. So teach us today and bring us close to yourself. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I never know quite how to uh, read this first verse. Uh, English is an interesting language when we put different emphases on it. Let me read it this way. The earth is the Lord's. Now, how does, what does that say to you? Well, it says the, everything in the earth. The earth is the Lord's. That is the world and all that, that dwell therein because he created it. He formed it on the seas, as it says, and uh, brought, it, brought it into being. 
And it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. He's the creator. And then you can read it this way. The earth is the Lord's. And what is that saying? It's saying in spite of everything you see all about you, everything that you encounter, it, it may seem like it's not true. It may seem like the world is so confused and, and everything is just broken and you don't know what to do. But the earth is the Lord's. You see the difference? Then you can read it this way. The earth is the Lord's. What does that say to you? It says it doesn't belong to me. <laughs> it doesn't belong to you. The earth belongs to the Lord, to the God, to the one who created it. You know what that means? It means we can't destroy it. <laughs> I think about how we treat this, this earth on which we live. It's a wonder we're still in existence. You know, I mean, we can't just go dirty up the streams and, and dirty up all the landscape around us and pollute the water and all those kind of things. Why can't we do that? Because it doesn't belong to us. <laughs> it's, it's God's. It's, 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 it's His. So we treat it with respect. I was going down the road the other day, and there were some, uh, some kids in the car, crowded in the car, and they were drinking and eating and having a good time. I was following them. All of a sudden, the window rolls down, and two people threw one of these big gulp cups right out in the street. And I thought, how many people do that? Uh, you, you know, the road doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. But to, to, you know, to do that is not respecting who it really belongs to. It belongs to God. You see what this is saying? This is the Word of God. There's so much meaning here that you can draw from it. Just a simple verse like this. And, and the outline of this psalm is so great. And here's what I want to follow. The first thing it does, it teaches us a great truth. That's what we've been talking about. This great truth that the world and all that is in it, the people, everything, peoples, all belong to God. That's a great truth. But then it comes back and it asks a penetrating question. A question just goes right to your heart if you really think about it seriously. And then after that, it comes back with an answer, a challenging answer. So a great truth, a penetrating question, and a challenging answer. That's the outline of this, this beautiful psalm right here, so simple. You won't ever forget it, I don't think. So the first the great truth that God created this world. He didn't just wind it up like some kind of a toy and fling it out into space and just let it unwind, you know, over the centuries and millions of years. No, he put it in space and he gives it his love and he nurtures it and he keeps it going and he sustains it and he loves all of us who are in it. He is involved in the world all the time. That's the great truth, you see. Didn't leave us alone out here to struggle for ourselves, but he's available to us all the time. And then the penetrating question, L listen to this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? Think of that question. You know, it's not a question of whether we will stand in his presence. We're standing in his presence. He's here right now. We're standing in his presence. We've ascended the hill of the Lord. We're right here. Not just because we're in church, but wherever we are, there is God. I think what he's saying is, 
Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his presence with a head held high, with joy in the heart, rejoicing that I'm in the presence of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace? Who can stand with that joyful heart? Because many of us, when we come in his presence, will only know guilt and shame. We've never dealt with our sins. We've never dealt with life that is broken and, and not being used of him in any way. And we've wasted it. No, we don't want to be that way. We want to be before him with joy because he's our creator. He loves us. He's, he's, he's all for us. You know, uh, years ago, uh, 1968, there was a terrible battle in Vietnam. The, the communists swept in and attacked almost every area of that country. Even my little village outside of Saigon was attacked ferociously during that battle. We were trapped in our house for five days in that battle. It was just a terrible thing. And so many houses throughout the whole country were destroyed. And I wrote back to the, to the International Mission Board and I said, is it possible for you to send some money out here that we could present to the nation of Vietnam and say, Christians, Baptists, our Baptist churches are, in America really care that this country is suffering and we'd like to help just a little bit with, with rebuilding and with, with people who are in grief and sorrow. So many people have been killed. And they sent us a, uh, some money to present. So uh, the, my fellow missionaries said, Sam, you go and present this to the president of Vietnam. So I called and I made an appointment with the president of the Republic of Viet South Vietnam. And uh, boy, I, I, you know, I got all dressed and I got in my Volkswagen. I even washed the old Volkswagen van. I drove up to the palace of the, of the president in Saigon there. And, and man, when I drove in, that old Volkswagen didn't look too good <laughs> among those black sedans and all those cars of these government officials. And, uh, and I went into the palace, and uh, <clears throat> in fact, they came out and said, let us park your van for you. And I was hoping it would start, you know. <laughs> Everything seemed wrong. And I walked into the palace, carpets that thick, you know, and Boy, the, the secretary to the president showed me into a little room. He said, you wait here, and the president will, be, will meet you in a few minutes. I'm sitting there, you know, and I look down, and, man, I'd shine my shoes, but they weren't really shined too well. My clothes felt shabby, and I, I don't know. I had on my best suit, you know, in that hot climate. But it, it didn't look too good. And, and then I thought, I should have looked at my hair. Maybe I could go to the bathroom first and look at my hair. But I didn't have time. And then a few minutes, uh, somebody walked out and said, you can go see the president now. And I kind of straightened my back. <laughs> and with fear and trembling, I walked in there. And uh, the president was very gracious. He, he got up and he meet, met me and asked, invited me to sit down. And I presented him a check from the Baptist churches across America who loved Vietnam and wanted to be of help. And he was very gracious in thanking me. And when I left there and I got in my old Volkswagen van and I drove home, I got to thinking, if I'm that nervous going before a president of a small country in Southeast Asia, what is it like 
to come before the one who created everything. One of these days, in fact, today, I'm, I'm in his presence now. How do I stand here? How's my life? He doesn't worry about my clothes or my shoes or anything like that. He's concerned about how I behave in the world, how I relate to people, how I deal with people in my church on the pew, how I deal with people in my office, and what I've done with my life in this world. Oh, the high school students, I'm so glad to see you today. I I remember when I graduated from high school, my biggest worry was, what am I going to do with my life? What's going to be my occupation? What am I going to do with, with all of this that God has given me? Well, I didn't think about God at that time. I, wasn't, I was going to church some, but I, I wasn't surrendered to Him. But I was, I was worried about what, what, what am I going to study in college when I get there? It was, it was pretty confusing. But when we come before our Maker, you know, and one of these days it'll be the end times. You know, there's a verse in... Uh, 2 Corinthians, a, a very powerful verse. I think it's the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. I'm, I just want to read that just a minute because it's very sobering. Second uh, Corinthians, I think it's the fifth chapter. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, listen to this. this the 10th verse says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him For the things done in this body, whether it is good or bad. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive for what we've done with this body, in this body, whether it be good or bad. I tell you, I want to stand before him good. I want to stand before you and say, Lord, I didn't have, you gave me what I have, and I didn't bury it, I used it, and I used it for your glory. That's what I want to do. You see, who shall come into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy presence with joy, with peace, with satisfaction? I turned 89 last, last month, week. I know to a lot of you that seems old, but to me, uh, you know, I'm just getting started, <laughs> and I'm still going overseas serving Lord, and I'm so grateful because he's given me that privilege. I, I really ought to be gone by now, I guess, but it's not his will. But I'm kind of looking forward. One of these days, I'm going to lay down for the last time, and I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves me and what I've done with my life. I'm going to say, Lord, here it is. It wasn't much, but I gave you what I've got, what you gave me. You see, that's the way all of us want to be. I I think everybody wants to be that way. The trouble is we just don't, sometimes we don't get there. We don't get there seriously with what we have and what God has given us. You see, well, then he comes to that, uh, the last part of that 24th Psalm. And he says, who may stand in his holy place? Well, here it is. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false or vanity or sworn by what is false, 
He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God as Savior. Uh, a pure heart, we know. I'm glad he put both those things. You see, he says, the Bible says, out, it is out of the heart that proceeds the things of life. It's out of the heart. That's the seat there. But the hands, what about the hands? It represents the activities of life, what we've given our life to. It's the hands that work, that do what has to be done. It's just kind of a symbol of life itself. And he does both those two things. And, you know, the pure heart, we don't have any problem with clean hands. I don't know. The pure heart. In John 1, 7, he says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all iniquity. That's how we get the clean heart. He, he forgives us. Gives us a new life. A new heart, as it were. That's what Jesus does when we accept him as our Savior. He saves us and, and, and gives us that pure heart. Now the clean hands. What does that mean to have clean hands? Does it mean to go to the spigot and get some good soap and some disinfectant now uh, and put on our hands and disinfect it, you know, and clean them real good before we shake hands or, we, or before we eat? Is that what it means? No, no, it doesn't mean that. Uh, there's a story I'd like to share with you this morning uh, from, from the mission field, from life. A young pastor, one of my students, he graduated from our seminary. Beautiful young wife, Vietnamese, both of them, of course. They had a beautiful little boy who was born. Uh, he was like two years old. And they'd been to every doctor, but uh, his wife was seriously ill, and nobody could seem to find out what was wrong with her. And my wife is a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and my wife had her own clinic in Vietnam. She took this, this young pastor's wife to uh, a hospital, to the best hospital in Saigon, and said, let's see what we can do. And the doctors had to operate on her stomach when they opened her, she had a little baby in there, but she was absolutely filled with cancer throughout her stomach. There was no way she could live. So they sewed her up, and she was lying there in the bed and on a cot, actually, in what they call the intensive care ward, but it really was for people who were intensely sick, not so much that they got intensive care. Because in Vietnam at that time, there was one medical doctor for every 300,000 people in that country. Can you imagine? Most of the people of Vietnam would never see the face of a medical doctor. No way. All medical doctors were in the army. They were fighting a war. So they were almost totally without medical care, except if you had a lot of money and you went to the best hospitals. Well... She was lying on that cot one night about close to midnight. My wife was, there was an oxygen bottle under the cot and a little plastic hose that ran up. And my wife was holding that plastic hose under her nose so she could have oxygen. They didn't have any kind of a mask or anything to put on. And she was sort of gasping for air. And my wife stood there for I don't know how many hours holding that hose under her nose to ease her pain and I was standing there it was very hot in that room they didn't have air conditioning 
and very hot. There was a little boy over in the corner, and he started gasping for breath, and my wife took a check on him and said, he needs a tracheostomy right now. Run and find a medical doctor. I don't dare do that here. I ran out. I ran over that whole hospital. There was not one medical doctor or trained nurse in that hospital. And I came back to to my wife, Rachel, and I said, Rachel, there is not one anywhere in this big hospital. And she said, I may have to do it. And about that time, the little boy breathes his last breath. And I thought to myself, I, I went outside and I sat down on the bench there. Light was coming through the louver on that bench. And I had a little New Testament in my pocket. I pulled it out and I was reading it. And I looked down at my hands and I thought, what if I was a medical doctor? If I just had the training, I could have opened that little boy's throat. He would have gotten some air and he could live. And I thought to myself, why if there's so much medical need here, why don't I go back to America at the end of this term? I have every course I needed. I liked one, only one course I could get in a medical school. I wrote back to my university, Wake Forest, and asked them about medical school. How could I qualify? And they, they said, you only need one, one course, and uh, you can apply. And uh, I talked to, I wrote to several doctors, and they said, we encourage you to do this. And boy, I thought, now I, I'm going to change my whole commitment to the Lord. I'm going to become a medical doctor so I can come here and be that one doctor out of 300,000 and, and really do something. But you know, that's not what God called me to do. He called me to lay down my, my gun in the Navy and pick up the Word of God and bring life to people, not death. My gun was bringing death. I gave that up to pick up the Word of God, which brings life. And I wanted to take this life out to people who really don't know how to live abundantly, joyfully, peacefully, with, with all of the peace of mind and heart that comes from knowing Jesus and following Him. They don't have that chance. They don't have anybody telling them. So I thought about that. And here I'd be giving that up to become a medical doctor. And my brother, who's a, a pediatrician, asked me a key question. He said, Sam, if you had to practice medicine in America, would you still want to be a doctor? I said, no. <laughs> no. Then he said, I would rethink that. What has God called you and gifted you to do? And I said, he called me to preach the Word of God, to share with people about Jesus. And he gifted me for that. And he said, then, you might want to keep doing that. <laughs> and, and I did. And it was a great decision for me. But I think of so many young people who are standing at that crossroads right now, today. What am I going to do with the life that God gave me that will give me the clean hands. That is, you see what clean hands are? God has no hands in the world. 
He can do it many different ways. But you are God's hands in the world. You're his feet in the world. You're his voice. You're his, uh, his body, in a sense, in the world. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and makes you who you are and gives you the gifts that you need to be what God wants you to be. And that's where the struggle ought to be. Lord, what is it that I can give my life to that's going to make a difference in this world in which I live? And I think you, you are seniors. You have the most wonderful opportunity now to give your life to something that really will make an impact in the world in which we live. It doesn't have to be a preacher or a missionary. It can be a medical doctor. It can be a secretary in an office. It can be somewhere where your life makes a difference in the midst of that people for good. You see, that's, that's what, what has God gifted you to do. But make sure that you're thinking about the fact that I'm God's hands in this world, and I want these hands to be clean, and I want them to be useful to the Lord. I want it to count for something in this world. If I could, sometimes I come home from Vietnam, and I'm there very frequently. I used to teach underground for 17 years, rested once, uh, went through terrible interrogation one time, and, and then God blessed me and made me an official professor of religion in Vietnam, which then I opened a seminary and trained pastors to go out and bless their, their own people, you know. What a tremendous privilege God gave me there, you see. Well, because, you know, these hands were given to the Lord for him to use, do what he wanted to do with them, you see. But that's exactly what you face. All of you. It, it may be that you'll be a plumber. You may be a garbage collector, a, a, you know, maintenance. You may be a lawyer. You may be a doctor. You may be all of these things are equal in the sight of the Lord, and they're all blessing people no matter what you're doing. But you have to give your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. That old song comes to mind. It may not be on a mountain high or over a stormy sea. It may not be at the battlefront, but my Lord will have need of me. And if by a still small voice he calls to places I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in yours. I'll go where you want me to go. Can we do else? Can we do anything else? Because the earth is the Lord's. And the people, the world, and all the people in it. That includes you and me. Let's pray together.